Well, good morning, friends. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. If you're visiting with us, we're so excited that you're here. And uh, we just want to, right off the top, just let you know what we're all about at, at Evangel Church. We're all about being safe place for everyone and anyone to explore faith in Jesus, to receive his love, because we believe receiving his love is going to change something in you and, uh, and, and look more and more like him each day. And that's the process, that's the journey that we're on, and so let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Another thing we say all the time is uh, we are all active participants in the preaching of God's Word, because this is not just about me being up here, this is about God's Word coming alive in our hearts, and, our, and that's the work of the Spirit who's here. So Lord, we just acknowledge that you're here right now with your people. And Lord, we pray as we dig into your Word that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would change us. So, Lord God, we just give this time. We set it apart, Lord. May may it just be marked by your presence. May it be sacred and set apart for your plans and your purposes in my life and in each of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Come on. You know amen is a word of agreement, right? It's a word of agreement. It's unity. And in community of faith, that is so key. Today... We're going to be talking about one of our values. We're in a series called The Values That Shape Us. And one of the values is generosity. But before we get there, I want to just turn your attention to a very well-known verse from Scripture. It's John 3.16. Who knows this verse? By Probably by heart. Uh, even if you're exploring faith with us and you have no point of reference for church and all of that, you probably have heard this verse before, or at least this reference. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's interesting, my office previous to being here at Evangel Church was in, uh, in Surrey at Spa Church. We call it Spa Church, Surrey Pentecostal Assembly. It was just easier to say Spa Church and it sounded cooler. It sounded like you were going to go and just, you know, feel real good after but I had the joy of, of uh, being in an office wing, and right next door to my office was the office of, of Pastor Lester Markham. Now, many of you may know Pastor Lester Markham. He, uh, he's, he's, he's just a, such a proficient person, um, and he's so well-respected, and, and he served our district. He served us nationally as part of our fellowship, and he just has so much life experience, and so I would have this opportunity oftentimes where I was kind of coming up against um, some things that I just didn't understand or I didn't know what to do, and I had the opportunity just to get up from my desk, walk to the next office over, knock on the door, and sit down with Pastor Les Markham and just glean and ask my questions. And, you know, it was interesting. Pastor Les, one day, we were sitting down for coffee, and he told us as a staff this story that, that Les and Pat had gone down to Texas for a prayer conference. And they're the prayer coordinators for our district here in BC, Yukon. And so they had gone down to this prayer conference in Texas. And they were driving and they went into Irving, Texas. They went to this big church. Now, I can't remember what church it was or which pastor this was. But they remember going in and the pastor was sharing this story about this interview that they had with a media personality. And so this reporter had done this thing, and, and this church, in many ways, is a big church. It's a big church with a big budget and all of that. 
And you knew that this, he knew that this media personality had an agenda. They had a reason for being there. And so finally, it all boiled down to this question. The media personality asked the question, how often do you talk about giving? Because that's where they wanted to get to. Because there's a stigma and this stereotype about finances in the church. Some of it's deserved, some of it is just misunderstood. And so this pastor's answer to this question, how often do you talk about giving, was this. We talk about giving every week. And then he followed up with this statement. You can't talk about God without talking about generosity. You can't talk about God without talking about generosity and giving and sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that which was dearest to him, that which cost him the most, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Today we're going to be digging into our fourth value statement as we continue the series, the values that shape us. In the first week, we, we talked about our value of truth. Biblical truth will change your life. We believe that with all of our hearts, and we cling to that as a community of faith. Biblical truth will change your life. In the second week, we jumped into prayer. We begin with amen, surrounding all we do with prayer. We begin with amen, surrounding all we do with prayer. And last week was discipleship. The mission is disciples making disciples. It always has been, it always will be. That's our value. And today, we're going to be talking generosity. And if you're taking notes, just write this down. And I often say it, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Because it's important. It's important that we're engaging God's word. It's important that we're engaging in community together. Here's our value statement for today and for the days to come. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Today, I want to convince you that generosity does more in your heart and your soul than it does for the recipients of your generosity. It does more for you than it does for anybody else. It impacts you more than it impacts anybody else. Now, to be clear, we need to give a working definition for generosity, because we can't just go to the dictionary and look up generosity. We have to go to the scriptures and look up generosity. What, what does generosity mean? What, what is a biblical idea and word picture of generosity? Some of us, we think primarily of money. Some of us, perhaps, we think maybe more intuitively about time, which is one of our most precious resources. Perhaps your minds go to other places. But a biblical generosity looks like this. Generosity is giving what you value to others until it hurts. That's a biblical definition of generosity. I want to say that again. I want you to hear this. Generosity is giving what you value to others until it hurts. 
Biblical generosity involves sacrifice. Involves sacrifice. Think, think of the generosity of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I want you to think about the cost of that. I want you to think about the sacrifice, literally the sacrifice, as we celebrated here today. We look at Paul's life, one who gave up so much for, the, for, for, the, for bringing the gospel to the Gentiles in the first century. In 1 Corinthians 10, 33, he says this to the church in Corinth, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul lived this generous life. He wouldn't take wages. He worked by vocationally to do the mission that he was called to do. He did everything that he could do. It hurt him to the point of sacrifice. He was generous with his resources and his time for the sake of the mission. It's interesting, Jesus was in the temple one day with his disciples and he, and he calls them over because there's this moment that catches his eye and catches his heart. And this is found in Luke 21, Luke chapter 21, 1 to 4. And it says this, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. I want you to think about the contrast that's going on here. This gets Jesus' attention. This small amount turns the heart of God in the temple that day. And here's what's interesting. We get so distracted by the amount or the time or the gift itself, and Jesus looks past the amounts to the level of sacrifice. It moves him so much that he gathers his followers around and points her out. Hey, guys, come look. Check this out. She gave generously. I want to teach you something about generosity. Check this out. She gave two copper coins. In contrast to big money being thrown in by rich people, she gave two copper coins. Check this out. That's generosity. Because I'm moved by the level of sacrifice. Not the amount. Not the amount. The rich would give out of their excess. It's, it's easy to give out of your disposable income. It's easy to give some of your extra time in the calendar. But then this widow comes, and she's not get, be giving to be seen because her gift is not that impressive. She's not giving to be seen. Her gift doesn't even warrant a second look compared to the others, but she gives in a sacrificial way and it moves the heart of God. 
You see, the generosity of the kingdom is determined not by the amount of money, time, or talents you contribute to others, the church, or your community. It's defined by the sacrifice of your gift. How much did it hurt? This is a biblical definition of generosity. Kingdom generosity is only ever generosity when it costs us something in a sacrificial way. So let me ask you, in what areas of your life do you need to become generous? Because remember, generosity is going to do more for you than it's going to do for whoever you're generous towards. God wants to teach us something about generosity and walking with open hands in this world. I felt like it was important to bring some strong biblical definition to this value of generosity before we talk about the outcomes and walking in generosity. But generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Uh, there was a study that I, I heard about, actually, in an interview. It was, uh, I think it was Kerry Newhoff. Uh, I think he was interviewing Erwin McManus. I could be wrong, but I believe that's what was going on. And Erwin McManus had uh, read a study about, I think it was out of Berkeley. And I've shared this before. But the, the study out of Berkeley showed, it was a study about, of generosity, giving to others, and, and how that created relational dynamics. Okay around loyalty and, 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 and drawing close to a person. So let me give you a hypothetical, all right? We're just going to do, do a show of hands kind of thing. We're going to see how we do in this test, all right? So they did a study around those, for instance, I'll give you a hypothetical. You go out for lunch. You're with another person. And let's say you pull out your wallet first. You get to the till first, and you offer to pay for that individual. So here's the question. Who feels, who feels most connected and loyal to an individual? The person who paid for the lunch or the person who received a free lunch? Okay, so A, the person who paid for lunch, who thinks it's them? And B, who thinks the loyalty kind of fell with the person who received the lunch? So the study showed over and over and over again that it was the giver that felt most connected to that person, not the recipient. Guess what? God knows something about how we're made, eh? Church, friends, God knows something about how we're made, right? When we got universities catching up with some of this stuff that we see so just in the scriptures, laid out for us, there's something about the act of giving that brings us closer to the ones we're generous towards. We, we make room in our hearts for them. It increases our feeling of loyalty and camaraderie and unity with them. Not receiving from people, but it's when you give. It's when you're generous with people. It actually makes room in your heart for them. I want to let Paul, who, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words to the Corinthian church. And I want to just use Paul's words to paint a picture here. We, we don't fully know the details, but it would seem that the Corinthian church had voiced their eagerness to help financially 
the Macedonian church, the church in Macedonia. And they're going to they're gonna take up a big offering and they're going to send it to Jerusalem. And that was going to get dispersed by the apostles into that region, okay? And so the, 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 uh, the Corinthian church have kind of voiced their eagerness to do this. And then Paul writes them in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. I find this just so interesting when it comes to generosity and giving and, and all of it because we don't often think it through very well. And I believe God wants us to think it through. And Paul makes us very aware of that. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. There's so much going on, and, and, and I hope to do this justice. But to understand the, 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 the the dynamics of this early church is to understand the economic realities of the first century. They were under Roman occupation. Many of them were being robbed literally through taxation. They were paying taxes, but they were paying surcharges on top of taxes that were illegal, but they were overlooked by the authorities of that day. The economic realities were unsure, especially for those who had began to follow this Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. In many ways, it would have been blackballed in popular idea and, and in community. And so here Paul is telling them, I'm going to give you a guide for being generous. I'm going to give you a guide for being generous. The Corinthians had made this financial pledge, and Paul is now coaching them through it. It says, determine in your heart what you will give. Determine in your heart what you will give. And this is key because later Paul says, don't give out of compulsion. Paul didn't want to show up, and he says this later, I don't want to show up with this delegation of Macedonians who you're going to be giving to, and I'm going to show up, and you're not ready to give, but you're going to feel lots of pressure because you said you would, and then if I show up with them, you're going to feel pressure, and then you're going to be compulsion. You're going to give out of guilt. You're going to give out of all the wrong reasons. 
Determine in your heart what you will give. Here's what's interesting about determining something in our heart. The heart speaks not necessarily to the emotions and the will of our minds. It speaks to spiritual matters. Here's what's interesting about God leading us in generosity. God will establish it first in our hearts, and here comes the battle. And then we have to translate that into our mind and our emotions and make a decision to be faithful to it. It's called counting the cost. It's called process. Listen, if, gener- if, if biblical generosity means it's going to hurt, it means you're going to have to take a moment to grieve the loss a little bit. Paul's saying, I'm not going to show up and have you just give out a compulsion. The Holy Spirit will establish in your heart what you should give of your money, of your time, of your talents, in all areas of your life. And then you count the cost so that when you give, you give with a glad and cheerful heart because you know you're walking in obedience to your Lord. Because compulsion just leads to regret. You remember the last time you bought that big ticket item and you didn't sleep on it first? Remember that rule, right? Young person, there is a rule, and it's a rule for a good reason. You're going to make a big ticket purchase, sleep on it first. Not literally, unless it's a mattress, but, but take a night, give some space between that moment of all the endorphins firing when you're getting all excited about this purchase, and then take a night so all the realities of what it means for your life kick in. You can start thinking about the things you'll have to do without so you can have this thing. Take the time, you count the cost. You count the cost. I believe oftentimes it's the same with giving. We can walk into an an environment, even in the church, where this special project comes up or something kind of, and we get excited about it, and then we just, and then we go, oh, why did I do that? God's not looking for... And, and, and this can happen quickly. I'm not taking away from that. But it seems like Paul is telling us, determine in your heart. Count the cost of it. Don't give compulsively. These are good rules of thumb when it comes to generosity. Because what? Generosity is sacrifice. You're going to have to grieve the loss. Because it's going to have to go from your heart to your mind and to your emotions. Before you make it happen. God loves a cheerful giver. And the path to generosity is not one of compulsion, but of hearing in your heart what you should give and then determining in your mind to do so. Submitting your will to his heart. The widow with the two mites, she didn't give compulsively, I can promise you that. If that's all she had to live on, she thought long and hard about that moment. She thought long and hard about that moment. And yet she submitted herself to that moment anyway, even though it was going to hurt. 
and it turned the head of Jesus. It turned the head of Jesus. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. And sometimes that other is God himself and his kingdom. But there's also a promise found in this passage. And Paul is convincing the Corinthians that no matter the amount or the extent of the sacrifice of their generosity, God will meet their needs. Do you see it? Do you see it? In verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. When you begin to walk in the principle of biblical generosity, God promises you, I will take care of you in all things. I will take care of you in all things. I will meet you need. Because this is, not, this is not like being part of the patterns of the world. This is faith journey. This is taking him at his word. In verse 10, Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's this principle at play here, and it's not necessarily what you think. We've heard these passages so abused over the years. What does it say? God will meet your needs. We've all heard this. I want you to think about your needs. Think about your needs. Think about your needs. God will meet your needs. He'll meet your needs. He will multiply the seed of the... Friends, he will multiply the need, the seed of the... The sower. There's a principle at play here. About a year ago, I preached a sermon that says the seed in your hand will not grow. The seed in your hand will not grow. God is trying to teach us something about the ways of the kingdom of God. The seed that you sow will increase. The seed in your hand will not grow. God has all given us seed for consumption. We all have seed for consumption because we need to live. We need to live. We need to raise our families. We need to feed our children. But then he's given us, and this is what he speaks to our heart. This is what he speaks to us in our heart. He's given us seed to consume, but he's given us seed to sow. And you have to ask yourself, Lord, what is the seed you have given me to sow? That it may increase. That it may increase. And here's where we get a little hinky in the church sometimes. He will multiply your seed for consumption. The new car. And I'm not against good stuff and having stuff. I'm not against that. But this is between you and God. What does this say? He will multiply your seed for sowing. He will multiply your seed 
for sowing. Kingdom-minded people who have learned the power of generosity have discovered that it's greater and more fulfilling to give than receive. And here's why. Because when God sees a child that has caught this, they can be trusted with more. That's why Jesus tells the parable of the talents and the faithful servant and the unfaithful servants. Why? Because there's a trust. When you begin to walk in these processes of walking with your hands open and not tightly clenched to your stuff, you begin to realize that God begins to take care of you and he gives you the ability to sow more into others, sow more into the kingdom, sow more into meeting needs around you. This is the principle of the kingdom. This is the principle of biblical generosity. People who have learned to be generous, they've experienced this principle of God's provision and the increase of resources that are entrusted to them. I would be interested just among us, if you're here today and you can attest, that's your testimony, that's your story. God taught you principles of generosity, giving until it hurts, and you saw God faithful to supply and to supply and to increase your opportunity to sow seed. If that's your story, let me just see your hand. If that's your testimony, let me see your hand. Friends, this is the principles of the kingdom. But the moment you sow to reap more seed for consumption is the moment you miss the principle. But there's another part of generosity that we aren't very comfortable with. I would say most of us in this room are not comfortable with this idea. Notice it says in verse 13, by their approval. He's talking about the receiving of the seed by the Macedonians, by those that are in need of it, by their approval. I want to perhaps change our thinking today so we can create a culture of generosity at Evangel Church. In order for there to be a culture of generosity that makes room in our hearts for others, there needs to be a commitment from each of us to lay down our pride and be recipients of generosity. Told you it's going to make you uncomfortable. Because we don't like being recipients of generosity. And it's not because we're good people and we're just stand-up people. It's because we're proud. It's because we're proud. We're so full of pride. How many times, you know, I'm not a charity case. I don't take... And, and here's what's interesting, and here's what we don't realize. Not only are we, are we walking in sin in that moment, and pride, pride of life, not only are we walking in sin, we're actually robbing those trying to be generous from having the opportunity to A, give before the Lord, and B, make more room in their hearts for us. 
Because we bought into this lie that if I give, I'm going to create deeper connections with people. The reality is, someone needs to receive. Don't let pride stand in the way of someone being generous towards you. I dare you, take, take a season of your life, take a month, take two months. When you go out for coffee and somebody offers to pay, instead of the Canadian standoff at the till, just say thank you, thank you so much. And here's what's interesting. Psychologically, social science tells us, and the scriptures tell us, that they feel closer to you. They feel closer to you. They've made more room in their heart for you in that act, in that moment. I want to illustrate this idea through the life of Jesus. Do you remember that moment in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and, and Jesus, they, they've been out on the road, and they get to the place, and, and Jesus all of a sudden takes out his outer garment, and he puts on a towel, and he gets on his hands and knees, and he washes the feet of his disciples? Do you remember that? Here's the rabbi. Here's the teacher. Here's the person of prominence getting on their knees, humbling themselves before his followers and washing their feet. And there's this moment where Peter just can't handle it. He says, I refuse. I refuse. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, unless I do this, you have no part with me. Jesus is teaching them something. But I wonder if later the disciples look back and they see how Jesus had actually modeled this before this moment. If you turn your Bibles to Luke 7, Verses 36 to 38. There's an interesting encounter where Jesus models this exact thing. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anointed them with ointment. I want you to think about this, friends. In this moment, all the religious people around Jesus were very upset about this moment. A, because she was a sinner. She was a known sinner in the community. And B, Jesus let it just progress and progress and progress. Jesus sat there as this woman weeped over his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. I want you just, okay? Can you just think about just the social implications at a dinner party? I mean, sometimes we read these stories and we kind of just gloss over just the impact of them. Can you just think about that moment? What do you think happened in that moment? She served Christ. She took this expensive perfume and broke it and anointed his feet with it. How much room did she make in her heart for Christ in that act, I wonder? 
It had to have been significant because when she finishes, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus both washed feet and he is the recipient of having his feet washed. He models this for us. Generosity really is an act of humility on both sides. Whether you're the giver of the gift or you're the recipient of the gift. It's an act of humility. And ask the worship team to come. Every Sunday we've been doing something a little bit different with these value statements. Because this isn't just a one-time sermon. This isn't just a one-time moment. These value statements we believe in community, we've discerned it together with leadership. We took time and season to do that in prayer and in the word and in community. And we believe these are going to shape the way that we move forward as a community of faith. These are the non-negotiables. This is the filter for everything that we do. These value statements. By the end of this series, you're going to hear all eight of them. And here's what we're asking you to do each and every Sunday that we talk about these value statements because this is more than just a sermon. This is, this is shaping who we're going to be as a community of faith moving forward in the mission God's called us to. And so we're asking if this is something that you can affirm in your own heart and your own life. We can affirm it together as community that this is the way we're going to move forward. That this value of generosity, of kingdom generosity will be what marks us as a community of faith, what defines us as a community of faith. And if you, in your heart, as you count the cost of it, if you can affirm that, yeah, I'm in on this. I'm in with my brothers and sisters on this. That generosity, generosity makes room in our hearts for others generosity makes room in our hearts for others I'm going to just ask you in agreement just say amen amen why don't we stand together why don't we stand together it's still more blessed to give than receive because in giving you make room in your heart for others Determine in your heart, which is an act of the Spirit, count the cost so you can give with a glad heart. So you can give with a glad and cheerful heart. Give with confidence that He will meet your needs. And don't be too proud to receive generosity from others. Because the decline is to rob them of an opportunity. And because it's the way of Jesus. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Lord, would you convince us? Would you convince us, Holy Spirit? Would you convince us?
would we see, Lord, that in generosity we find fulfillment and we find joy, that in serving others, Lord, is where we find life. Would you convince us? In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to say one thing, just as I was praying, the Holy Spirit just reminding me of a principle. And it fits so beautifully as I think about it. When Jesus talks about giving, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So, so in other words, here, here's the idea. Uh, don't give so that you can be seen. And this goes with prayer as well. Giving a prayer, they have the same kind of moment. If you give to be seen, what is, the scripture says, they have already received their reward. What was their reward? Man looking at them and going, oh, good job. That was their reward. They've already received their reward. The implications of that, and this is the same with prayer. Those that pray in public, they've already received their reward. But you, pray in the private. Give in the private. Here's why. Because then my Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And listen, you don't have to give and the recipient know who you are. Because guess what? The greater work is what's going on in your heart than in theirs. And that's why it fits so beautifully. That's why it fits so beautifully. So be generous until it hurts. God bless. Let's worship together.